The number is 1,523. I want you to think about that number right now. 1,523 people. 1,523 people died this morning. 100 years ago, on April the 15th, 1912, the Titanic hit an iceberg. And the Titanic had about 2,300 passengers. Only 705 of them survived. It was the worst disaster in maritime history. And many of you, you've watched movies, you've seen documentaries. But 100 years ago today, 1,523 people lost their lives. Now the thing I want us to wrestle with this morning is thinking through if you were one of the passengers and you didn't know what was coming. I mean, I want you to picture faces in your mind. I mean, because the faces, those 1,523 people were women and children and moms and dads and sisters and brothers and uncles and cousins. They were people who were lawyers and doctors. There were people who uh, worked menial jobs and menial labor. There were people um, just like you and I that really just was expecting the time of their life and this was the end of their life. I want you to put, our, put yourself in their mindset. And then I want us to shift just a little bit. And if you were on that ship, if you were on that ship and you knew what was going to happen, what would you do? Who would you tell? What type of things would you intentionally do to be able to try to avert this disaster? I mean, again, we've all... We've all read it. We've seen the movies. The shipbuilders said not even God could sink this ship. There was great confidence. There was great pride in the, in the RMS Titanic, thinking that this was the most opulent. It was the largest ship of its time. It was the pride of the British fleet. It was over 900 foot long. It was uh, over four city blocks long. Just... The corridors in it alone, there was over 12 miles worth of mazes and corridors inside the ship. Um, it had a double-bottomed hull. It, it was divided into 16 watertight compartments. And because as many as four of these compartments could be completely flooded without endangering the ship's buoyancy, the Titanic was considered unsinkable. It carried the most latest and most expensive safety devices. But yet, 100 years ago last night, shortly before midnight at about 11.40, it struck an iceberg. And uh, I want to talk about lessons that you and I can learn from the Titanic. Because all of us, again, we look at this and it's so far away, 100 years ago. I mean, we think people who are 40 are old, right? Um, I mean, what can we learn from something 100 years ago? 
And what I want to do today is I want to take some Bible verses and share with you some things and some principles of some, really, some things that you and I can learn from this situation. It was the ship of dreams. But I want to, let, I want to give you a couple of quotes about this. Um, a Wall Street Journal printed an optimistic report even after everybody was saying, it's done, it's, synced, it's synced, it's on the bottom. This is what the Wall Street Journal printed uh, after the whole disaster. The gravity of the damage to the Titanic is apparent, but the important point is that she did not sink. Man's brain has within it the spirit of the divine, and he overcomes natural obstacles by thought, which is incomparable, the greatest force in the universe. Kind of reminds me, if you grew up in church, in Genesis chapter 11, the whole idea of the Tower of Babel. You know, that we can do whatever we put our minds to. In the book, The Titanic Reports, the official conclusion of the 1912 inquiries into the Titanic disaster by the U.S. Senate and British Rec Commissioner, that's a very long title, I apologize, an investigative inquiry was created immediately following the arrival of the Titanic survivors in New York City. After fully investigating the reasons, reasons of the sinking, here's what one senator had to say about this. Senator William Smith said this, No drill or station practice or helpful discipline disturbed the tranquility of that voyage. And when the crisis came, a state of absolute unpreparedness stupefied both passengers and crew. Indifference to danger was one of the direct and contributing causes to this unnecessary tragedy. Basically, what he's saying is that they didn't do any drills. They didn't do anything to be able to warrant this um, disaster because everybody, it was a party ship. And they didn't want to interrupt people's schedules. There was too much drinking. There was too much having fun. There was too much. I mean, if you've, if you've been on a cruise, you know how it is. All right? This was like the Carnival Cruise Line's to the nth degree. All right. So here's what I want us to do. I want to give you two principles today that we're going to learn from this disaster. Next week, we're going to talk about the survivors of it. But the first one is this. The first principle I want us to look at that really helped sink the Titanic. Even though it hit an iceberg, there was some pretty major flaws going into the Titanic in what caused it sinking. And the first one is this, and it's pride. It's pride. All of us deal with pride at one level or another. I mean, you heard the shipbuilder say, not even God himself can be able to sink the ship. It's unsinkable. This was the, the pinnacle of man's thought, of man's goals. But all of us struggle with pride. Now, we throw around pride a lot. We have school pride, right? We have pride in our teams. We have pride. In... So is that bad? I mean, I want to kind of uncover that and kind of unearth that for a little bit. But let me give you an example. I think of many of us when, how we deal with pride. Any, any of y'all ever saw a group picture where you were in it? Anybody? Let me see your... Okay, when, you, when you're looking at a group picture and you know you're in it, who is the first person you try to find? I'm sorry, what was that? That's right. And ladies, and I'm not going to pick on y'all too badly, but the first thing you probably look at on yourself is what? Your hair. Thank you. I think a man said that. You, you will be sleeping on the couch tonight, sir. 
all right? I mean, you're going to look, you're going to find yourself, and then you're going to look, you know, we look at our hair. I've never once tried looking at my hair. I mean, again, last night, my wife and I, we went out on a date, and I love going out on a date with my wife. I'd encourage you guys, uh, those who are married, you need to pour into your spouses. We went on a date. We went to Nashville, went to an Italian restaurant. And I remember we closed the door, and right before she went in, uh, she looked at the car next to us, and she was looking at herself in the, in the window of the car. You know, she, you know and I'd never have done that, as you can tell, right? I never have done that, all right? See, there's something about when we see that picture and we look at all these other people, we look at ourselves first and then we play the comparison game. We look at, is somebody else skinnier than me in that picture? Somebody else have a better complexion than I do or have a better hairstyle than I do? You know, one of the things I feel like a lot of us struggle with is the pride and then comparison and they really go hand in hand. In fact, one of the things, you know, I, I, how many of y'all have Facebook account in here? I'm not going to hate on Facebook. Okay, I would say most of us, okay? Um, I have a Facebook account, and uh, sometimes I get on there often, sometimes I don't. But one of the things I would just caution all of us to struggle through is many times when we get on Facebook account and we see all the statuses and we see what other people are doing, we have a tendency to play the comparison game. And I don't think, and my wife and I, we got into a discussion about this yesterday, I really don't think anything good comes from the comparison game because it's all rooted in them versus us. Them versus me. You versus me. And that is a pride thing. Let me tell you what the Bible has to say about pride. It has a lot to say about pride. Proverbs 16, 18 says this, Pride goes before instruction and haughtiness before a fall. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. How dangerous is pride? Well, just a few verses before in Proverbs 16, verse 5, says this. The Lord, what does it say? Detest the proud. They will surely be punished. I mean, there are people whom God detests. I mean, that's kind of a nasty word. That's, a, that's kind of a mean word. I mean, the Lord comes up against the proud. In fact, James 4, 6 says it like this. This is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, the very first sin ever mentioned in the Bible was the sin of pride. You know, when many of us, and especially if you've grown up in church, you know, you may know the whole story of Genesis chapter 3 and the apple and you shouldn't eat it and all that stuff. But really, there was a sin even before that. God created the heavens and the earth. He created angels, all right? And there was just angels, and then there was God, all right? And um, there was uh, an angel by the name of Lucifer who wanted to be just like God. In fact, really wanted God's seat, if you will, at the head of the table. And uh, he tried uh, usurping God's authority, and we read all throughout the Bible, but especially in the book of Isaiah, we read about Lucifer, this angel, and how God, through Lucifer and a third of the angels that kind of sided with Lucifer, threw them down and they became fallen angels, and you know his name is Satan or the devil. That was the very first sin ever mentioned in the Bible. It's the sin of pride. And pride is when we think we're hot, but we're really not. Pride says, I'm better than you. 
Pride says, I can handle it myself. That is pride. Pride is like a cancer that permeates every part of who we are. It affects how we look at ourselves, and it affects how we look at other people. It's what we feel when we made a mistake, but we refuse to admit it. Pride causes us to stand our ground when really what we ought to do is to seek forgiveness. Pride lashes out and spews illogical blather because it has, it, it has really no real basis for the battle. Um, pride can blind us into thinking that the world owes us an apology or that even God does. I mean, think about this. Take an honest look at your relationships, particularly the relationships that you're struggling with right now. And if you're honest, isn't pride lurking beneath the surface of it all? Well, you know what? I know that she did that to me, and she should apologize first. That's pride. I know that, you know what, I've been, I've been working and working and working at this job, and my boss never, ever says thank you. I deserve a thank you. It sounds good. That's pride. I mean, you think through this. I mean, even in Jesus' life, it says in Philippians chapter 2, this is not going to be on the screen, but in Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus, who was the very nature of God, took on the form of a bondservant, and he served. He didn't cling to the rights that, that was due him, but he emptied himself. He emptied himself. And see, there was no pride in Jesus. The Bible says very clearly that Jesus had no sin. All right? So pride. And I believe, really, before the Titanic ever pushed away from the docks, there was this sense of pride that really put it behind the eight ball and was really going towards April 15th. And the clock was ticking. It was this attitude of pride that nothing can sink this. Nothing. The second thing I want to talk to you, and really the last thing I want to talk to you about today, is the word character. It's character. Now, let me talk a little bit about what character is. Character is who you are when no one is looking. Character is what you do when the lights are out. All of us have character, right? Because all of us were, were people, and we have a backside and we have a front side, Right? All of us, we like showing our front sides, but we really don't like showing our backsides. Here's the thing, and here's the, here's the situation when it comes with character. When we have a tendency to be able to try to present ourselves as something that we're not, then our character can be this close to failing. Let me tell you a little bit about this, how it applies to the Titanic. And I remember reading this literally about 15 years ago. Very, very interesting story. In fact, I clipped it out and I saved it. And it's this. I'm just going to read it. It says, that, at first, the scientists thought that one large gash from that faithful, fateful iceberg proved to be the Titanic's undoing. However, now scientists say that it was just a series of slits, not a gigantic gash, that sank the Titanic. The most widely held theory was that the ship hit an iceberg which opened a huge gash in the side of the liner. They believed it was a 300-foot gash. And I remember, I remember being a kid, and the big thing was, where's the Titanic? Anybody else remember that? I mean, we, they couldn't find the Titanic. And I remember the day that they finally found the Titanic. Well, after they found it, they started sending international team of divers and scientists, and they used sound waves uh, to probe the wreckage buried under the two and a half miles of water. And here was what their discovery. The damage 
wasn't a large 300-foot gash to the side of the hole. This is, I'm, I'm reading now. The damage was surprisingly small. Instead of one large, huge gash, they found six rel relatively narrow slits across six watertight holes. And this was the end of the entire clipping of this, uh, of this um, paper. Small damage, invisible to most, sank this great ship. Small damage that when you're up on the top deck looking down, you couldn't see. Small damage, invisible to most, sank the Titanic. And let me just say this. Small damage, invisible to most, will sink reputations, will sink character. That's huge. Because many times we think, you know what, we can get away with this. In fact, our big idea today is this. In matters of character and integrity, sweat the small stuff. In matters of character and integrity, sweat the small stuff. You see, the damage wasn't huge on the Titanic. It was just six small slits that let in millions of tons of water that eventually sank that ship. And here's the idea. The designers of the Titanic, when they were going through all of their worst possible disaster scenarios, they only thought, they only figured of a one large gash. That's kind of what was their mindset. They thought, you know what? If one large gash, they could protect against that. But it was six small slits that actually sunk it. That's interesting because I think so many times in our life, we have a tendency to say, you know what? I would never do that huge, big thing. I would never do that. But all the while, we inch a little bit closer, a little bit closer. And it reminds me of the parable of uh, the, the frog in the kettle. I don't know if any of you guys ever heard of this. But um, if you take boiling water and you stick a live frog in it and you throw him into the boiling water, that frog will hop out immediately, all right, because it's boiling, all right? You would hop out, all right? Now, here's the thing, though. You set that frog in just room temperature water and you put that frog who's alive in the pan of water on the stove and you slowly turn up the heat, you know what will happen? That frog will cook itself to death. You see, we have a tendency to think we don't drift towards major big things. We don't. It's just small little choices that erode our morality and erode our character. That's huge. Now, the same can be said for you and me. So where I want us to spend a lot of time today is the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. This is one of the first scriptures I memorized um, as an adult, and I'm glad I did. Because it applies to all of us. I want you to look at verse 12. It says this. So, if you think you're standing firm, what does it say? Okay, this is an all-skate morning, right? If you think you're standing firm, what, you, what should you do? Be careful that you don't fall. I want to stop right there. If you think you're standing firm, be careful so that we don't fall. That's the pride in it. That's what we've been talking about up to this point. 
That is, you know what, I would never do that. Watch out. Watch out. I would never become an alcoholic. Watch out. I would never go down that road in that time of night. Watch out. Because anytime we say we never, we are this close to stumbling. I would never get a divorce. Watch out. Because here's the thing that the Bible teaches us very clearly. Pride comes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Now look at this next part. No temptation has seized you except what is, what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand under it. I want to dissect that verse right there. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. The first thing is this. All of us have temptations, right? All of us have temptations. We are tempted to do wrong. In fact, this is what the Bible says in James chapter 1. The temptation isn't sin. I want to clearly separate those. Temptation isn't sin. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted, but the Bible also said that Jesus had no sin, correct? All right? So temptation is not sin. However, when we give in to temptation, that's when it's sin. And it says no temptation has, what does it say? Seized you. Right? I like that word picture. Right? Seized you. It's almost like something creeping up and grabbing out and just grabbing you, right? No temptation has seized you except what is, and what is that next word? Common. Common to man. I want to talk a little bit about that. Did you know that the same temptations that you and I face today are the same temptations that people faced back in 1912? In fact, I'm even going to go farther than that. The same temptations you and I face are the same temptations that people faced a thousand years ago. The same temptations faced in Jesus' day 2,000 years ago. We face the same temptations. You see, we think in the technological age that, you know what, it's so much more difficult. And I would say it is difficult, but you know what, the th same thing that tripped people up 100 years ago is the same thing that tripped people up today, right? Money, um, relationships, um, you know, all of this stuff is the very same thing that trips us up today. It's just common. It's common. You see, now what we have a tendency to do is when we go through this temptation, we think, well, there's something that happened to us that's uncommon. That's what our mind plays tricks on it. That nobody else has struggled with this very thing that I'm struggling with. And you need to know that you are wrong. Because no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. All right? It's a very typical thing. And what we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to think that we're so special and we're so amazing. We have this such great opportunity. And you know what? If we just act now, right? I mean, and, and it, 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 it will be okay. Nobody will find out. That's not what this verse says. Be careful if you think you're standing, unless you're going to fall. No temptation to seize you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. If that doesn't give you any like room to say, I agree with that, praise God, amen. Whatever you want to, religious language you say, God is faithful. Now here's the tendency. Many of us, we have a Bible verse that's been in our heads for 20 years that's never found in the Bible, 
All right? And I'm going to state it to you. This is it. You ready? God's not going to give me more than I can bear. God's not going to give me any more that I can't handle. How many of y'all have ever heard that? I have. Right? Do you know that's not found in the Bible? In fact, the Bible says in so many areas, many times God, he specifically gives us stuff that's outside of our pay grade, that's outside of our skill set. All you got to do is look in like the first few books of the Bible. We looked at Exodus with Moses. We've looked at uh, Joshua. I mean, we've, we've seen Gideon. We've seen all of these people in the Bible, David, that God many times asks them to do things that is impossible for them to do on their own, but with God, nothing is impossible. But that's where we kind of get this principle. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. That means when you're at that point and you want to take that drink, you want to go home with him, you want to be able to, whatever that next step is, God's saying he will give you a way out. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a what? Way out, a trap door. He will provide a trap door so that you can stand up under it. That, my friends, is huge. Very huge. God's saying with this verse, you know what? I know temptation is strong, and it is. I mean, it was strong when Jesus was tempted. But think about how did Jesus handle his temptation? He used the Bible. He, he prayed. All right? And that's what we are to do as well. But it's just, it, it's just difficult. You know that because all of us are tempted, and many of us, including myself, we, we go even beyond temptation. None of us in here are perfect. This is what Genesis chapter 4, verse 7 says. Sin is lying in wait for you, ready to pounce. It's out to get you. You've got to master it. That, it's just it's getting ready to pounce. And many times, people try to warn us, but we keep on moving forward. We're just like the Titanic. All right, We are going full steam ahead, even though there's tons of warnings. Tons of warnings around us. In fact, for almost the entire voyage, Titanic had been advised repeatedly of icy conditions at or near her position that she was sailing through. In fact, she got six warnings on the day on April the 14th. Six warnings on that day alone that people just ignored or heeded because, hey, this ship is unsinkable. Let me go through some of this. One message was not posted until more than five hours after it had been received. Yet another message at 7.30 p.m., warning of icy conditions, wasn't given to the captain because it would have interrupted his dinner. Yet another message was never taken to the bridge because the wireless operator was working alone and he would have abandoned his post. The receipt of a final crucial message was interrupted because the local operator on the Titanic pulled the plug because he wanted to do some friendly chatter with some of his friends on another ship. Isn't that something? There had even been visual warnings at 10.30 p.m. from the Rappahannock, whose Morse lamp message about the heavy field of ice directly ahead of the Titanic was briefly acknowledged by the Titanic's bridge, but yet there's no evidence that this vital information was ever heeded, nor was ever given to Captain Smith, who was dozing in his quarters. During her single interrupted voyage, one element of misjudgment was added to another and added to another, and people was warning and warning and warning and warning, and they just kept on plowing ahead at 20.2 knots, just going full steam ahead. 
and 1,523 people lost their lives. Do that. Are you plowing full steam ahead right now in your life and you're not listening to the warnings of the people around you? Do you have some people in your life that you can listen to and who can even speak those warnings? Pride, not just the iceberg, sank the Titanic. So what do we do? What do we do when people just put up those warning signs and we just plow forward? I want to end with one last verse today. And it's in Galatians chapter 6. Verses 1, 2, and 3. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians. Dear brothers and sisters, if, any, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Very similar to what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help somebody, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Thank you, Paul. Hmm.